I hope everybody is doing well today. I'm going to give you a heads up because some of you like to have your Bibles open when we are right, you know, right off the bat when we're reading scripture. I'm going to start with a verse this morning and we're going to be back in Romans 12. So it's that, if that's you, uh, flip there because we're going we're gonna to jump right into that passage and it's Romans 12 verse 16 and here's the passage. It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Short verse, I'm going to read it again. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So I'll tell you overtly, the thing that I hope for all of us today, just getting started here, is that based on this passage, what I want us to see is that genuine love creates harmony. Genuine love creates a kind of harmony, and it's important that we say it. And if that word harmony is lost on you, I love this word, love that our passage uses it. We're going to unpack some of that today, but, but this is what it does, and hopefully that picture gets a, a little more big, a little more beautiful as the morning goes on. Uh, I also, if you're new with us, we've been going through Romans 12 for a little bit here, and so let me to fill you in on, on what's happening. And if you've heard this a bunch, hang in here and, and hear it again, because it's really important. Uh, Romans 12, we, we started on this weeks ago, actually, in verse 9, because in verse 9, the apostle Apostle Paul, the person who wrote Romans, uh, makes this really important statement. He tells us all something. It's a command, right? Puts it in the imperative. This is what I want you to do. It says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. And what he's saying to all of us is, let it be without hypocrisy. Let love be without pretending. Let love be real. Real and honest and true. Let it be the real thing. Don't accept, the, don't accept a substitute. Don't offer a substitute. Let it be the real, genuine article. Essentially, love people let love be the way that God loves us, this authentic and true way. Uh, and this is a really, really big deal. And he says this in chapter nine. And I think knowing that we'd all go, well, what does that mean? And how does that look? And how does that practically play out in our lives? And all the many questions that we would ask, the entire rest of the chapter, all the rest of the chapter as you move through is like, it looks like this. It looks like this. It doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like, it, it just, it rolls through and keeps saying, this is what it practically looks like. And that is so important for us right now. All of us, whether you're new, whether you've been here for a long time, because our theme, we talked about this, launched it two weeks ago, into that is love like you're loved. And you're going to find yourself at some point over the course of this next year, this next week even, going, but what does that mean? Or how do I do that? Or what do I step into? Friends, Romans 12 is an absolute gift. It is not an accident that we have been journeying through that uh, up to this point. If you're confused on it, take out your Bible at some point in your week, pull open Romans 12, start at verse 9 and just start reading and you'll see, oh, that's what it looks like. This is my opportunity. This is what's in front of me. This is the thing that's there. It's a gift for us. And so that's why we're going to step into Romans 12, verse 16. What does that genuine expression of love really look like here today? And brings us back to that passage. The Greek language that gets used here for harmony, right? When, we're, when our Bibles say, like, live in harmony together, it's a little bit complicated. And it's because it has its roots in philosophy, in Greek philosophy. When you, when you read through this and you look at all the different usages and all the different ways that this, this word can show up, sometimes it talks about a really deep kind of understanding, right? There's this really deep way of understanding something holistically or, or entirely or seeing the truth of what it was. Sometimes it's wisdom that gets turned into action. Sometimes it's just saying uh, th that there was a general kind of comprehension. And it's not a surface level word. It's a deep word. It's not like, yeah, I kind of get that, you know, moving on, like me with like calculus at some, you know, not that. 
No, there's, there's like a depth to it. It's like, wow, I actually see it. I understand it. It clicks in some ways. And this is the word that gets translated as harmony. Sometimes it gets translated as unity. But here's what translators and commentators pretty much universally agree on. Is that when Paul's writing these words here in Romans chapter 12, he's encouraging us. Paul is telling us to be unified. That's where he's getting at with harmony here. Some of your Bibles will say, be of one mind. He's encouraging us to be unified. The it could literally be translated, the grammar could literally be translated as thinking the same thing to one another, which is an awkward English sentence. That's why it doesn't read that way. But it's a call to be unified, to live in harmony with one another. And so here's the point for this morning, and I'll tell you, I'm gonna say it a couple of times here because I want it to soak in. The point is this. This is kind of my paraphrase of the whole passage that we just read. Here's what I think he's getting at. Genuine love seeks to understand one another and makes room for unity of common purpose despite our differences. So in just a moment, I'm gonna say that again. But don't hear this as an intellectual lesson right now. Don't hear this as just a moment that Paul's referencing something from 2,000 years ago or he's speaking to like Jewish people or Gentile people back in, in the first century. He is, but hear this for us. This is really important for us who are here gathered today, whether you're online, whether you're in the room, whenever you find yourself taking this in. So I'm gonna say it again. And with that context, this matters for us. I want you to hear these words. It's this. Genuine love seeks to understand one another and makes room for unity of common purpose, despite our differences. All right, so that's gonna to continue to unfold, but I wanna show you why this matters so much for us today. So when COVID first started in March, uh, there's something that really was unique that happened in the state of Arizona, and it's that a group of pastors started gathering on Zoom. It was like 30 to 50 pastors at any point in time in this one Zoom meeting from all over the state. Different churches of shapes and sizes, like in backgrounds and all kinds of stuff, all gathering in this one place on a Zoom call because none of us knew what we were doing. We didn't, like none of us were, you know, nobody was like, oh, what do you do when you have to shut the doors of an online service, service you know, for a while and people aren't able to attend in that way. Like this hasn't ever happened before. Or, or a lot of people are going, we've never been in online ministry. What are you doing and how does this work? And then when it came time even to, should people open back up and should we have services again? These churches were all getting together once a week on this call to talk about all of this stuff. Man, that was valuable. That was like an absolute gift for us as a church. Can you imagine if in your own life there had been like that as a group for parents? Or that for marriages? Or that for your workplace? Where at any point, like this once a week, 30 to 50 people are like, here's what it's been looking like for me. Here's what I'm trying. And you were like taking notes, learning about all these different moments from people of different walks and perspectives and all the things that they were going through. It was an absolute gift for us. One day though, I remember coming into work and I'm sitting in the offices and Glenn walks in and he'd been a part of this meeting the night before and he just like, down, like pensive and downtrodden and kind of just like, I don't know, like he was down and I said, hey, you know, how you doing? And he goes, man, that meeting last night, that was hard. And I said, what was so hard about that? Because he, he sat through this meeting with all of these different pastors, many in Phoenix, many all over the state, different denominations, different churches, sizes, all kinds of things. He sat through this. What's so hard about that? And he said, you know, last night they were saying things that I've just haven't heard many of these people ever say before and talking about some stuff that was new for them. And you just realize this is a really big deal. This is really hard. And he said, it, I walked away and I realized this and it clicked with him as well. He said, it feels like churches have never had more challenge in front of them to keep them unified right now. He said, these churches and these pastors have never experienced the threat of kind of being divided from the inside out 
ever. You know, for many of these people, they were expressing like that, that usually they go, hey, here's what we think. And then the whole church kind of agrees with them. And it's like, okay, so that's what we think. And everyone's like, yes. And they just kind of navigate forward. And they said, this is not that. This is a season where people disagree. This is a season where people are on different sides of fences and things are really complicated. And many of these leaders were saying, in all of their years of ministry, I don't know what to do here. This is hard. He said, you know, churches have, have, are sharing that there's arguments and fights about mask wearing. There's people that are like, yes, and there's people that are like, no, but it's getting really intense. At one point, there was a pastor that articulated that there was a fist fight in the parking lot after church. That's a lot. It came to blows over this particular thing. Thank you that that hasn't happened here yet. And if you're tempted to laugh, I'm actually being really sincere. Thank you. I, I mean this, that that hasn't happened here yet. That's a big thing. But it is happening. There are places and stuff where, where that is happening because it's hard. People are frustrated and there's all kinds of things to divide over. He shared that some people were demanding the churches stop being scared and reopen and that they were getting emails and having conversations about this and that other people were demanding the churches stop being scared and stay shut. And they're getting emails and conversations and all kinds of things about this and that everybody's accusing them of being scared but there's no way to like, do anything because it's just, a, it felt like a mess. And people were saying, I'm not quite sure what to do. And he shared that people in churches were labeling each other as either liberals or conservatives, as either you know, pro-racial reconciliation or pro-law enforcement or pro-this or pro-that. And there was like a chasm between people. And there was anger and hostility and frustration. And they're, they're sitting there asking, how do we keep the church unified when everything wants to just tear it apart from the inside out? And I think the thing that was so sad was to see these people that in all their years of ministry were going like, I've not experienced it this way before. This is new for us. And to face this, it's very daunting. And so Glenn shows up to work the next day and he's a little sad and he goes, I feel it. I see it. And I'm sharing this with you because to be honest as a leader, I feel that too sometimes. I see that too. I don't see fistfights in our parking lot or those. I just recognize that those tensions are big, aren't they? I recognize that those concerns are large. I recognize that those frustrations are large. And I recognize that not everybody's on the same page. And I feel it. I see it. So I wanted to share this with you. And there's a weightiness of this that rests with me. And the weightiness is because of how special this place is. And I, I want you to know it is. I want you to see it here this morning, friends. Do you, do you experience this? Do you see how special this thing that you are a part of? When I say this place, I do not mean this room. I like this room. It's a nice room. I'm talking about you all, though. You, if you're online, anywhere that you're engaging with this, you all, the church, do you realize how special what's happening here and what has been happening here actually is? I mean, are you experiencing it? Do you see it? I can't emphasize how special enough is it. It makes me passionate to show up and love and be a part of this place in a passionate way. This is a place, friends, where some of our deepest values are constantly making us say, you know what, I want to make space in the seat next to me and the seat next to that one for the person who's not even here yet, for the person who's not even considered what it's like to even be a part of a church yet because they matter and I want them to know it. It's, it's a powerful thing. This isn't because leadership does this. This is because you all are doing this. This is because you're making it happen. I see the stories. I see people whose lives are changed. I see moments where I'm like, those two people shouldn't be sitting anywhere near each other. How did that happen? But it was you. And it was powerful. 
It's like this beautiful expression. I see this church is in this expressing this amazing heart to go like, regardless of who walks through these doors, regardless of diversity of background or where people have been, man, I just want them to know how loved they are. I want this place to be an environment of grace and compassion for them. And I see people's lives open up and their hearts change and they go, them say like, I've heard like, yes, Jesus loves me in my life, but maybe he actually does. And it starts to happen here, friends. I've seen it with you. It's moving. And it's incredible. This is a church where we recognize that people's story matters. Because so many people think that the moment they walk into a church, they're going to be met with a label and put in a box and they'll be, you know, kept there. And yet I've seen so many times where somebody walks in and you get to know their name and who they are and where they come from because that story, their life and their experiences and all that God's brought them through and all that they've learned to get to this place actually matters just as much as the fact that they're here. And you love them in a powerful way. Some of you know what it's like to have that kind of love or to experience that. I'm telling you, this place is really special, friends. I hope you see it. And this is a church where we genuinely believe that, you know what, if I see where you're coming from and I sit and have a conversation with you and express genuine care and concern and you sit and have a conversation with me, see where I'm coming from and express genuine care and concern, whether we agree with one another in the end or not, we just kind of believe we'll all be better for it. Because we believe that every human being is made in the image of God, and that means that whether you have done something good, bad, wrong, right, whatever, there's something about you that is here currently, right now, putting the creator of the universe on display. And I want to learn from that. I want to know you because you matter. And it's powerful, friends. And I see that happening around here. And I believe that this is a church. If there's one thing that, man, if there's one thing we take a firm stance on, it's that we will love people. This is a church that loves people people who aren't here yet, people who show up through our doors, people who show up into the online service, people who show up in our lives, in our communities around us. Because we just want them to know the way God loves them because man, he has loved us in such a way that I, I want them to know it too. I want them to know how loved they are. And you've experienced this, you've felt this. This is our theme, love like you're loved. This isn't just an idea. This isn't just me saying these things up here. I see it happen all the time. I see it vibrant and alive and moving through you and it is unique and it is special and it is powerful and I want you to know it. It's incredible, friends. This is a weird thing. It's a weird thing we're a part of. I, we're, we're redoing our website right now and uh, it, it's time and it, it, you know, want it to function in some different ways and, and update it and some stuff. And so you, we're not web designers, so you call somebody that does a great job with that. And a group of people came in and they you know, do this for organizations and churches. They've done this for several churches. And at one point they ask us the question that happens in these processes where they go, tell us about your church. And I got to talk to them at one point. I said, I just want you to know this place is really unique. And they all just kind of were like, mm-hmm, yeah. And it occurred to me in that moment, I think every pastor in any church says that about their church. And that these people hear this all the time. We're like, yeah, I'm sure it is, like the last one. You know, because they do this a lot. So we start talking. And at one point in time, I said, you know, what's really interesting is that we really have a lot of people on both sides of any fence you think of. There's a lot of Democrats and a lot of Republicans. There's a lot of people who think this way or who think that way. And we're all kind of sharing the same space. And they paused and their eyes got really big and they stared at me and they said, oh, that is interesting. How does that work? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> but it's beautiful. Uh, yeah. It's, guys, I can't tell, like, it's special. It is beautiful. It is amazing. It's not me. It's you. It's not Glenn. 
it's you. Sure, we're a part of it. It's all of us. But I want you to know, and I want you to see it. It's amazing. It's not normal. I know this because you just look around. It's, it's not normal. And sometimes it's really complicated, isn't it? In a season like this, it could be really complicated, but it doesn't change the fact that it is good. It's us. And so this matters. You know, the thing that I love so much about being a part of this church is I think that part of what makes it so special is because you all, you all, I think, get what Paul's actually getting at here in Romans 12 today. I think this is something, this is like me not preaching at you, but just saying like, do you see yourself in the mirror? This is, this is a joy to teach these kind of messages, right? Where it's not like, all right, let's all figure out how we can change. No, do you see yourself in the mirror? I think you get some of this. I think you live some of this out in a vibrant, beautiful way because I think you guys know that genuine love creates harmony because it's happening here in a beautiful way, friends. I love that the Bible translations that we read use the word harmony, live together with one another in harmony. I love that because I love music. There's a lot of different ways we could talk about the word harmony. It's not just exclusive to a musical type of thinking. But for me, because of how I'm wired, that's how I'm going to use it today. I say that because if you are not wired that way, you may find yourself at one point being like, he cared a lot about all of that, but I'm not sure if I got it. And just ask somebody around you who cares a lot about music and thinks in, in this way. And I'm going to try to unpack it as best as I can. I love that they use the word harmony to illustrate this idea of unity here. See, I grew up playing instruments. And listening to music avidly is still, there's music all the time in my house, uh, on everywhere I go. Like, it, it's just, it's a part of life for me. And it's not background, it's foreground. Like, if you're ever playing music, I will stop listening to you and be like, we need to turn that off so I can focus. I love it. I grew up playing the saxophone and the clarinet. And I played in band. I played in concert band and I played in marching band. I hated marching band. Has nothing to do with my talk. I just would like to plug that. <laughs> I would. I just, I think that any time you have to wear polyester suspenders, a big leather hat with a giant feather on it and march around in the heat of Arizona while getting yelled at is just like, we should change that. We should move on. I hated marching band. I loved concert band. I did. I love concert band. And the reason I loved it is because that was when all of the instruments, all the things, we all gathered together and we created this like beautiful music that didn't involve all that stuff I just mentioned previously. You know, when I first started playing an instrument, like many of you, you probably thought to yourself, I want to play an instrument. And then you imagined whatever instrument you picked that you were going to become great at it. And you imagined all of these like solos you were going to play. All this like, I'm going to play every melody. And that's just kind of what you get passionate about. I love that song. So I'm going to play that song. But then you get into band. And what you realize, or orchestra, or you play in a symphony, or whatever it is you end up doing. And you realize rarely do you actually spend time playing the melody. Do you know this? All those different instruments, all that stuff that's happening, rarely are they in fact playing the melody. When I got into concert band, I quickly realized this. I'm like, all clarinet all the time because we're great. And then I realized we're not. We're just another instrument in this bigger thing. And we are great, but we are rarely playing the melody. And yet it became really, really important. Because if you ever hear a melody without that harmony that's added to it, it just feels like it's missing something. I mean, sure, it's good. But here's the truth. Every good melody needs great harmony behind it. Every good melody needs great harmony around it and through it and with it. Because that's where the power is. That's where that kind of music that reaches into us and connects with us and gets really big and pulls us in and we weren't even aware of what it was doing. That's where that happens. 
It's in the fullness of all of those things. What's amazing to me about harmony is that you can have a good melody, even with words, you can have a good melody or a song that's written and it's got good words. And many of us can like, if I were to say, think of a great melody right now, enjoy this. You're gonna have whatever that is stuck in your head the rest of the day. But I said, if I said, think of that, you know that, but it's because the first time you heard it, it wasn't just that melody. There was all this stuff with it and it impacted you in a way where you're like, I like that. And you absorbed it, it became something, and now you can just sing the melody. But it's because you almost have the rest of it with you now, and it's powerful. See, that's harmony. It starts to fill these things out. It makes it bigger, fuller. There's a beauty that begins to unfold. Take a moment, for example, to think about what we do in here when we sing worship music, right? When we gather together to sing. We might get together and sing a song that's a pretty good song. It's got a good melody. It has good words and we like that. But if, I, if next week you all showed up and I was like, so let's all worship together. One person just walked out and just started belting out the melody. It'd be cool at first, but by the end of the day, you're kind of like, yeah, that's good. And it's not just about preference. Some of you are like, but the words matter. They do. But there's something about when you start to add all that harmony to it, that things really start to become powerful. I mean, think about the moment you add that bass guitar, right? The moment you add that bass to this thing, many of you listen to music on bad speakers at home and you think it sounds like a tin can, you're like, it's fine. And then you come to another place and you're like, whoa, I wanna move. Or something inside of me feels this music. You add that and suddenly there's kind of a depth to it. Suddenly there's this kind of resonance. If you've ever been dancing with somebody and their face contorted and they made that weird stank face that's like hard to connect with while they were dancing, it's because they actually can feel that bass guitar and they're moving and resonating to it. And it's powerful. It starts to fill the room. We literally can turn a knob and people will be like, wow, I really could just feel like the music in the room or turn the knob. And it's the bass, it's that rhythm. It's powerful, friends. Connects us, pulls us in like, wow, this is grounded and there's depth and fullness to this sound. And then go from there and we add the drums, aka God's gift to people with no rhythm, right? And all of a sudden for all of us that are just kind of figuring out what's music and how do I do this? There's syncopation and there's meter and there's a beat to this. There's like a metronome. What's fascinating about drums, drums aren't just something we hear with our ears. Drums are something we feel in our bodies. To the hearing impaired, they often, one of their favorite things about music is actually the drums. Deaf people will listen to loud drums as part of music because it anchors them in with the larger experience that's happening because they can feel the rhythm. They can feel that beat and their body's attuned to it. And it's like biological with us too. It's like all of our metronomes internally, all of our rhythms and all of that beat start to sync up almost naturally. It's an amazing unifier. We don't even realize it's happening. It's adding harmony to this thing, making it fuller, making it bigger. And then you add the rhythm guitar, right? Many of us don't even notice that sometimes, and yet change the chords of that guitar, change the key, play, play a minor key, and you'll drastically change how everyone in the room is feeling as we'll all be a little more reflective, all be a little more somber, feel like it's a little heavier. Change it to a major key, and all of a sudden you'll feel all of us lift, and you'll feel energy a little bit, and, and kind of the room swell together with hope in a different way. It's powerful. We don't even realize that stuff is happening, and yet this is what harmony does with great melody. It makes that song powerful. It makes it resonant and clear. And then you add the vocals, the harmony vocals to this thing, and suddenly you realize this isn't just one voice. It's like this whole anthem, it's like a chorus of things. And what it does for us is it makes us bid ourselves to join our voice, to add our voice to that thing because there's a beautiful, powerful song here and we find ourselves compelled to sing it. 
Music is powerful, friends. If we all came in and we played one instrument and we all sang the same melody and every single one of us all sang in the same, like, it would be just weird. It would feel like a cult. It would be bizarre and it wouldn't move you. It takes all of that supporting harmony, all of that supporting energy, your voices, my voices, all of those things together, carrying that one beautiful thing that ends in the end, you're like, that was powerful. It was so good. Friends, as part of this church, in a somewhat metaphorical way of speaking, the melody is the love of Christ and Jesus is the grand conductor. And each of us, gets to do our part and play our harmony to make that thing bigger and fuller and more expressive. It becomes a powerful expression of the love of Christ. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to behold. It is. It's a beautiful thing to behold. You know the hardest thing about all of this in, in terms of not just band or music, but actually with life? I can't help but wonder if right now so many of us are confusing harmonies with melody. I can't help but wonder if so many of us are taking this issue or that moment or this thing and we're making it the thing and then trying to conduct the rest of it and forgetting the fact that no, one of the great miracles, you realize a church existing period, not just this church, any church existing period out of that first century, that's an absolute miracle. All that diversity, all those differences, all that weird, all sharing in something and trying to do some weird endeavor together. It's crazy that that continued forward. What allowed them to do that? Well, they recognized who was conducting and they unified their own harmonies and all their differences and perspectives to one larger piece. And it sings like a symphony that is the great story of Christ moving through the church, making its way forward. That's us. That's our song. It's the gift that you bring. It's the gift that I get to bring. It's the gift that all of us get to bring as we come together. When we let the melody be the melody and we bring our harmony to it. You see, in that way, friends, harmony isn't the removal of differences. I want you to hear that. Harmony isn't the removal of differences. It's really important for us to say that because there's a desire in our world right now for us to become, like I said, like a one instrument orchestra. There is, there's a desire amongst us to go like, I need to find people who think like I think, do like I do, look like I look, wanna act like carry life and do the things that I do because I'm tired of all this other stuff. That's hard. And so there's a desire to say, I'm going to take the instrument I play and I'm going to go find the horn section and it's going to be all horns all the time, all melody all the time. And this is what we think. But friends, that's missing something. It's missing all that other expression, all that other fullness, the very thing that will be reflected in the kingdom of heaven one day when every tongue, tribe, and nation there before the throne proclaiming and singing like one grand symphony of the beauty and the fullness and the glory of God. That's the big expression. That's the real thing. That's heaven on earth as it is in heaven. That's a big deal. And yet there's that tendency. But you know there was that tendency in the first century church too? When Paul writes this letter, he's writing to a lot of people who are confusing harmony with melody. He is. He writes the book of Romans to split audience. He writes it to Jewish people and he writes it to Gentiles. The Jewish people had grown up historically being, this is how we live. This is what we do. This is how we understand the scriptures. This is the age we start memorizing it. This is what it looks like. Here's the festivals we celebrate that anchor us into these deep traditions that we've held and our ancestors did it and their ancestors did it and their ancestors did it. And we've all been doing it. This matters. This is how you please God. This is how you make him angry. This is how you stay pure and holy. This is how you don't. They knew all of these things. They had a whole way of looking at life and viewing all of this stuff. And Paul writes to them as an audience. And he also writes to the Gentiles, which is just another word for everyone who's not Jewish. 
It is. And in the first century, this was like a brand new thing for them. They'd never read the scriptures and things before. They'd just been enfolded into this. They grew up and came from all kinds of different places. This was brand new for them. It was huge. And they didn't know what to do with it. They were like, okay, so I believe this and here's what I do. And then they're trying to live their lives and they're trying to engage this stuff. And the Jewish people are ticked off because they're like, these people are eating things that are absolutely an abomination. Like the Jewish people would look at the Gentile people and go like, if this was happening during dinner, we're all getting up and storming out of the house to make a statement because how dare you? And the Gentile people are like, why would you treat us this way? How dare you? And the church is wanting to split over all kinds of crazy stuff. Jewish people have grown up where if you want to be a sign of the covenant, you get circumcised. And the Gentile people are like, next, please, new promise. Right? Like, there's all these reasons of just like, no. So when Paul writes his letter in Romans, he's essentially saying, this statement to a two-party system that was wanting to tear the church apart from the inside out, does that sound familiar? We're in good company, friends. This is happening in the first century. It's happening now. And this is when Paul writes these words, live in harmony with one another. He wasn't asking the Gentiles to stop being Gentiles and he wasn't asking the Jewish people to stop being Jewish. He was asking them to let the melody be the melody as they brought their beautiful harmony, all their backgrounds, lives, perspectives, all the things that had shaped them, made them that they had walked through, all the things that they had come to learn so that one grand symphony that declares the love of God could proceed. And it's called the church. Powerful. See, harmony isn't the removal of differences. Harmony is the celebration of common purpose. Harmony occurs when we live life with shared purpose. That's what it is. It occurs when we live life with shared purpose. See, this is why our theme is so important for this year. Uh, it is. I, I said it two weeks ago. When it comes to the theme of loving like you're loved, we didn't have this thing where it's like, how do we create some new energy or some new moment that inspires everybody to do a brand new thing? I mean, that'd be great, but we didn't do that. Instead, it was, how do we tap into something that's been there from the very beginning and will be there in the very end? How do we hold on to something that's very old that's just as powerful and beautiful right now? How do we keep singing the song that God has been singing all along and add all of our harmonies to it so it gets a little bigger in this church, so that it gets a little bigger in the community around us, so that it gets a little bigger in our lives, so that the love of God is made known and people can see the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. This is our theme. And amidst all the different years and our, that we could do a theme, man, is this particular year really important, right? I mean, what would it be like if every person in our church said, man, as part of this, I want to unite under this common purpose to love like we're loved. Yeah, but what about these people who see differently than you? I know, I hear that, and they do. But I want to unite under this common purpose of loving like you're loved. Yeah, but what about these people who are singing harmony like it's melody? Yeah, I hear that, we'll talk about that. But, but I want to unite under the idea, under this grand purpose of loving like you're loved. But what about all the people that make us feel uncomfortable? Or what about the people who wish weren't just two seats, but five seats away? Like, what about all of that? I hear you, but I want to unite in common purpose to love like you're loved because there's something more important than all of that and there's something actually bigger than all of that that from the very beginning has united us all. It's really big. It's Jesus. It's as big as it gets. It is the love of Christ being centered and first and foremost, like grounding us 
as we all raise our instruments, lift our voice, bring our lives to sing and enter into the grand symphony that is before us. This is a really, really big deal. You know, one of the hardest parts about playing in band, concert band or an orchestra or whatever, isn't whether or not you'll bring your harmony to it, it's staying in sync. I did this thing at one point in time where we, there was a piece that the instructor wanted to play and it required an E-flat clarinet. It's like a baby clarinet, a little tiny thing. I went and got one, like an instrument, just so I could do this. It had a big solo in it and we were able to play this thing. It required me to keep count for 144 measures of time before this solo happened where I did not play. And then I just jumped in with E-flat clarinet. If you don't play any music, that's just, it's a really long time to go. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Do that 144 times and then you're supposed to come in, okay? So I don't have a good attention span. So like around 95 or something like that, I got so lost and we're in a competition. We're supposed to play this big concert and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh no. And the hardest thing in the world is to stay unified. I came in blasting and it was in the wrong space. And it was like every gear was grinding and my conductor, I wish you could have seen him. It's like he got instant indigestion of just like, like make it all stop. Cause it's painful when you hear that happen. It's painful. It doesn't sound like music anymore. It just sounds like chaos. The hardest thing. Even when you come to know that you have your harmony, you want to contribute to the larger things, just staying in sync. You do this by uniting to common purpose, friends, in life. And letting that be the umbrella over us and say, no, I'm going to carry love like you're loved. Because this is my heart. This is our church. This is our expression. And amidst all the things that may want to pull us apart, amidst all the reasons that we may have to get frustrated, I want to hold on to that. Genuine love seeks to understand one another and makes room for unity of common purpose despite our differences. The church continued to move forward in unity because they rallied under what they were for instead of rallying about all the things they were against. And they let Christ continue to be the conductor and they let the message continue to be the love of God. And there were a lot of crazy things that happened along the way. We're in good company, friends. You know, Paul writes the words he does at the end of this verse as, a sign, as just a way of warning us. Where these are, he articulates two enemies of harmony, two things that break that apart. And so I want to close out our service today by just pointing at those two things. Uh, and I want to do the same thing here as well. The first one is this. Paul, well, Paul writes this. He says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. If you're young and you've not grown up learning Old English, which I would imagine many of us haven't, the word haughty doesn't just mean someone you find really attractive. It means if you think highly of yourself, right? Or you're arrogant. Or you think highly of others and see somebody else's other different beneath in some way. That's why I want to challenge us with this. Essentially what Paul's saying is humble yourself enough to spend time with those who are different than you. I want you to notice in the way that he writes that, he doesn't just say, don't think of yourself that way, because we don't. He doesn't have to just say, don't think of yourself that way. If I were to ask anybody in this room, hey, do you think like more highly of yourself than you ought to? You'd be like, no. <laughs> Nobody wants to answer that question, yes. And even to the best of our knowledge and ability and all that stuff, we'll be like, well, no, I really don't think so. Genuinely, I, I believe no. And then he says what? But associate. He actually puts an action step on there. He says, but spend your time with the lowly. What, he, what he's getting at here is he's not saying with people who are beneath you. The grammar, the way this gets worked out is ultimately, it could be a person, could be a thing. He's just saying, don't be afraid to spend your time doing something you'd consider to be humble. Whether that's sitting with a person and talking with them or whether that's doing something that you might have thought was beneath you at some point in time. All of it. It's refuse, friends 
to, to do that. Humble yourself enough to spend time with those who are different than you. I think it would be good if some of us ask questions at times like, okay, who have I made room for in my life, but equally as important, am I living in a way that I've made no room for some people? And what would it be like to create a seat? What step would I take to actually sit down? One of the most powerful moments in my life, I'm telling you, it like just shook me to go, I don't know myself as well as I thought I did. And I've shared this with y'all before, but when I was in Chicago and I was serving meals at a YMCA to a bunch of group of people who lived there who'd been homeless and really struggling with that. And I was like, you know, it's just so good to be with you guys. It's awesome to be here. And a man named Ed looked at me and was like, if it's so good to be here, why do you never sit with us? And I just smiled. I was like, here you go. I felt so uncomfortable and I realized because they made me uncomfortable. Because I felt weird. And that night, it really was a humble thing. Not that I was an amazing, humble person. It like humbled me to walk over and sit down and go, hey, my name's Ryan. I know I met you earlier, you're Ed, and I got to meet these two other people and they became my friends. And I learned so much about their lives and the things that they had walked through and I shared my own. And it was a really beautiful thing. I remember less about the meals than I do about those gentlemen at that table that I sat with each week. Powerful. Who's there room for in your life? And then the second thing is this. Refuse to think you know better. It was a big deal. Refuse to think you know better, even if you do. I have to add that last part. Because sometimes you do, but it doesn't matter. Refuse to think you know better, even if you do. Paul says, never be wise in your own sight. This is another way of saying, never think you know so much that you stop listening. Never think you've learned so much that you stop learning from the person that's sitting across the table from you or the person that's there. Every human being is made in the image of God and every human being has a story. There is something important and powerful to learn from every human being, just like there is from you, friends. What would happen if we just committed to say, I'm gonna to refuse to think like I know better, even if I do. Even if I get to the end of the conversation and we still don't agree or I still think they're wrong or whatever it is, man, it's powerful what you learn along the way. And sometimes you will learn things that surprise you that move you, that change you, that love you. It's powerful, friends. There's a lot of reasons this year. Like, we'll create some, probably. There'll be a moment here where even for you, you're like, there's a reason for me to go fight in the parking lot. I'm not encouraging you to, I'm just saying, there's probably gonna be a moment where there's tension or something will arise at some point in time. Let harmony be harmony and unite behind the melody. Let Christ be the conductor of this thing and let a song of love come forward. May we unite behind the purpose that is love like you're loved so that during this season, and man, the world needs it so much and man, our communities need it so much that genuine expression of unified love can make its way forward so that people can find themselves thinking, I let go of all of this, but I'm here because I believe that the love of God is real and powerful after all. God, we come before you today and we ask for wisdom and insight. We ask for guidance. We ask you to move us in such a way that we are able to unite in common purpose this year. Make us, give us unity. It's a tough time to do that. Help us to learn from one another. Help us to genuinely care about one another and care about the people around us in the way that you care for us. Lord, fill us with that beautiful kind of love and grace. It's already there. And Lord, amongst all of these people, myself included, keep doing the special thing that you have been doing, God. It's your church. It's your movement. It's your world. We trust you. We're excited. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.